Homily 23 of Homilies of St. John Chrysostom on 1 Corinthians, Part 1. The LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 1 Corinthians 9.24 Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. Having pointed out the manifold usefulness of condescension, and that this is the highest perfectness, and that he himself having risen higher than all towards perfection, or rather having gone beyond it by declining to receive, descended lower than all again, and having made known to us the times for each of these, both for the perfectness and for the condescension, he touches them more sharply in what follows, convertly intimating that this which was done by them and which was counted a mark of perfectness, is a kind of superfluous and useless labor. And he said it not thus out clearly, lest they should become insolent. But the methods of proof employed by him makes this evident. And having said that they sin against Christ and destroy the brethren, and are nothing profited by this perfect knowledge, except charity be added, he again proceeds to a common example, and saith, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. Now this he saith not as though here also one only out of many would be saved. Far from it, but to set forth the exceeding diligence which it is our duty to use. For as there, though many descend into the course, not many are crowned. But this befalls one only, and it is not enough to descend into the contest nor to have anointed oneself in wrestle. So likewise here it is not sufficient to have believed, and to have contended in any way, but unless we have so run, as unto the end to show ourselves unblameable, and to come near the prize, it will profit us nothing. For even though thou consider thyself to be perfect according to knowledge, thou shalt not attain the whole. Which hinting at, he said, so run that ye may obtain. They had not then yet, as it seems, attained. And having said thus, he teaches them also the manner. Verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. What is all things? He doth not abstain from one and err in another, but he masters entirely gluttony and lavaciousness and drunkenness and all his passions. For this, saith he, takes place even in the heathen games. For neither is excess of wine permitted to those who contend at the time of the contest, nor wantonness, lest they should weaken their vigor, nor yet so much as to be bruised about anything else, but separating themselves altogether from all things, they apply themselves to their exercise only. Now, if there these things be so, where the crown falls to one, much more here, where the incitement to emulation is more abundant. For here neither is one to be crowned alone, and the rewards also far surpass the labors. Wherefore also he puts it so as to shame them, saying, Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Verse 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, thus having shamed them from those that are without, he next brings forward himself also, which kind of thing is a most excellent method of teaching, and accordingly we find him everywhere doing so. 
But what is not as uncertainly? Looking to some mark, saith he, not at random and in vain, as ye do. For what profit have ye of entering into idle temples and exhibiting forsooth that perfectness? None. But not such am I, but all things whatsoever I do, I do for the salvation of my neighbor. Whether I show forth perfectness, it is for their sake or condescension, for their sake again. Whether I surpass Peter in declining to receive, it is that they may not be offended, or descend lower than all. Being circumcised and shaving my head, it is that they may not be subverted. This is not uncertainly. But thou, why dost thou eat in idle temples, tell me? Nay, thou canst not assign any reasonable cause. For meat commendeth thee not to God, neither if thou eat art thou the better, nor if thou eat not art thou the worse. Plainly then thou runnest inconsiderately, and at random, for this is uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. This he saith, again intimating that he acted not at random, nor in vain. For I have one at whom I may strike, i.e. the devil. But thou dost not strike him, but rashly throwest away thy strength. Now so far then, altogether bearing with him, he thus speaks. For since he had dwelt somewhat vehemently with them in the preceding part, he now on the contrary keeps back his rebuke, reserving for the end of the discourse the deep wound of all, since here he only says that they act at random and in vain, but afterwards signifies that it is at the risk of no less than utter ruin to their own soul, and that even apart from all injury to their brethren, neither are they themselves guiltless in daring so to act. Verse 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, after that I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Here he implies that they are subject to the very lust of the belly, and give up the reins to it, and under a pretense of perfection fulfill their own greediness a thought which before also he was travailing to express, when he said, meats for the belly and the belly for meats, for since both fornication is called by luxury, and it also brought forth idolatry, he naturally oftentimes inveighs against this disease, and pointing out how great things he suffered for the gospel, he sets this also down among them. As I went, saith he, beyond the commands, and this when it was no light matter for me, for we even endure all things, it is said. So also here I submit to much labor, in order to live soberly. Stubborn as appetite is, and the tyranny of the belly, nevertheless I brittle it, and give not myself up to the passion, but endure all labor, not to be drawn aside by it. For do not, I pray you, suppose that by taking things easily I arrive at this desirable result. For it is a race and a manifold struggle, and a tyrannical nature continually rising up against me, and seeking to free itself. But I bear not with it, but keep it down, and bring it into subjection with many struggles. Now this he saith, that none may despairingly withdraw from the conflicts in behalf of virtue, because the undertaking is laborious. 
Wherefore he saith, I keep under and bring into subjection. He said not, I kill, for the flesh is not to be hated. But I keep under and bring into subjection, which is the part of a master, not of an enemy, of a teacher, not of a foe, of a schoolmaster, not of an adversary, lest by any means having preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now Paul feared this, who had taught so many, and feared it after his preaching, and becoming an angel, and undertaking the patronage of the whole world. What can we say? For think not, saith he, because ye have believed, that this is sufficient for your salvation. Since if to me neither preaching nor teaching nor bringing over innumerable persons is enough for salvation, unless I exhibit my own conduct also unblameable much less to you. Then he comes to other illustrations again. And as above, he alleged the examples of the apostles and those of common custom and those of the priests and his own. So also here those of the Olympic Games. And having set down his own conduct, he again proceeds to the histories of the Old Testament. And because what he has to say will be somewhat unpleasing, he makes his exhortation general, and discourses not only concerning the subject before him, but also generally concerning all the evils among the Corinthians. And in the case of the heathen games, Know ye not, saith he, but here, chapter 10, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant. Now this he said, implying that they were not very well instructed in these things. And what is this, which thou wouldest not have us ignorant of? Verses 1 through 5. That all our fathers, saith he, were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ, and with the more part of them God was not well pleased. And wherefore saith he these things, to point out that as they were nothing profited by the enjoyment of so great a gift, so neither these by obtaining baptism, and partaking of spiritual mysteries, except they go on and show forth a life worthy of this grace. Wherefore also he introduces the types, both of baptism and of the mysteries. But what is, they were baptized into Moses, like as we, on our belief in Christ and his resurrection, are baptized, as being destined in our own persons to partake in the same mysteries. For we are baptized, saith he, for the dead, i.e. for our own bodies. Even so they put in confidence in Moses, i.e. having seen him cross first, ventured also themselves into the waters. But because he wished to bring the type near the truth, he speaks it not thus, but uses the terms of the truth even in the type. Further, as this was a symbol of the font, so that which follows of the holy table. For as thou eatest the Lord's body, so they the manna, and as thou drinkest the blood, so they water from a rock. For though they were things of sense which were produced, yet were they naturally exhibited, not according to the order of nature, but according to the gracious intention of the gift. And together with the body nourished also the soul, leading it unto faith. On this account, you see, touching the food, he made no remark. 
for it was extraordinary, not in mode only, but in nature also, for it was manna. But respecting the drink, since the matter only of the supply was extraordinary, and required proof, therefore having said that they drank the same spiritual drink, he added, for they drank of a spiritual rock that followed them. And he subjoined, and that rock was Christ, for it was not the nature of the rock which sent forth the water. Such is his meaning, else would it as well have gushed out before this time. But another sort of rock, a spiritual one, performed the whole, even Christ, who was everywhere with them, and wrought all the wonders. For on this account he said, That followed them. Perceivest thou the wisdom of Paul, how in both cases he points out him as the giver, and thereby brings the type nigh to the truth. For he who set those things before them, saith he, the same also hath prepared this our table. And the same person both brought them through the sea, and thee through baptism, and before them set manna, and before thee his body and blood. As touching his gift then, such is the case. Now let us observe also what follows, and consider whether when they showed themselves unworthy of the gift, he spared them. Nay, this thou canst not say. Wherefore also he added, but with most of them God was not well pleased. Although he had honored them with so great honor, yea, it profited them nothing, but most of them perished. The truth is, they all perished, but that he might not seem to prophesy total destruction to these also. Therefore he said, the more part. And yet they were innumerable, but their number profited them nothing. And these were all so many tokens of love, but not even did this profit them, inasmuch as they did not themselves show forth the fruits of love. Thus, since most men disbelieve the things said of hell, as not being in presence or in sight, he alleges the things heretofore done as an indication that God doth punish all who sin, even though he have bestowed innumerable benefits upon them. For if ye disbelieve the things to come, so he speaks, yet surely the things that are past you will not disbelieve. Consider, for example, how great benefits he bestowed on them. From Egypt and the slavery, there he set them free, the sea he made their path. From heaven he brought down manna, from beneath he sent forth strange and marvelous fountains of water. He was with them everywhere, doing wonders, and fencing them in on every side. Nevertheless, since they showed forth nothing worthy of this gift, he spared them not, but destroyed them all. Verse 5. For they were overthrown, saith he, in the wilderness, declaring by this word both the sweeping destruction and the punishments, and the vengeance inflicted by God, and that they did not so much as attain to the rewards set immediately before them. Neither were they in the land of the promise, when he did these things unto them but without and afar somewhere, and wide of that country, he thus visiting them with a double vengeance, both by not permitting them to see the land, and this too, though promised unto them, and also by actual severe punishment. And what are these things to us, say you? To thee surely they belong. Therefore also he adds, verse 6, Now these things were figures of us, for as the gifts are figures, 
even so are the punishments figures. And as the baptism and table were sketched out prophetically, so also by what ensued, the certainty of punishment coming on those who are unworthy of this gift was proclaimed beforehand for our sake, that we by these examples might learn soberness. Wherefore also he adds, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. For, as in the benefits the types went before, and the substance followed, such shall be the order also in the punishments. Seest thou how he signifies not only the fact that these shall be punished, but also the degree more severely than those ancients. For if the one be type and the other substance, it must needs be that the punishments should as far exceed as the gifts, and see against whom he inveighs first, against those who would eat in the idol temples. For having said that we should not lust after evil things, which was general, he subjoins that which is particular, implying that each of their sins arose from evil lusting. And first he said this, Verse 7, Neither be ye idolaters, as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink, and rose up to play. Do you hear how at length he calls them idolaters? Here indeed, making the declaration, but afterwards bringing the proof. And he assigned the cause too. Wherefore they ran to those tables, and this was gluttony. Wherefore, having said, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, and having added, nor be idolaters, he names the cause for such transgression. And this was gluttony, for the people sat down, saith he, to eat and to drink, and he adds the end thereof, they rose up to play, for even as they, saith he, from sensuality passed into idolatry, so there is a fear, lest ye also may fall from the one into the other, do you see how he signifies that these perfect men, forsooth, were more imperfect than the others? And he was striking at them, not in this respect only, their not bearing with their brethren throughout, but also in that the one sinned from ignorance, but the others from gluttony. And the ruin of the former he imputes to these for punishment, but allows not these to lay upon another the cause of their own sin, but pronounces them responsible both for their injury and for their own. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed. Wherefore doth he here make mention of fornication again, having so largely discoursed concerning it before? It is ever Paul's custom, when he brings a charge of many sins, both to set them forth in order and separately to proceed with his proposed topics, and again in his discourses concerning other things, to make mention also of the former, which thing God also used to do in the Old Testament, in reference to each several transgression, reminding the Jews of the calf, and bringing that sin before them. This then, you see, Paul also does here, at the same time, both reminding them of that sin, and teaching that the parent of this evil also was luxury and gluttony, Wherefore also he adds, Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. And wherefore names he not likewise the punishment for their idolatry? 
it is because it was clear and more notorious, or because the plague was not so great at that time as the matter of Balaam when they joined themselves to Baal Peor, the Midianite women appearing in the camp and alluring them to wantonness according to the counsel of Balaam. For that this evil counsel was Balaam's, Moses showeth after this. In the following statements at the end of the book of Numbers, Balaam also, the son of Beor, they slew in the war of Midian with the women, and brought the spoils, and Moses with wrath, and said, Wherefore have ye saved all the women alive? For these were to the children of Israel for a stumbling block, according to the word of Balaam, to cause them to depart from and despise the word of the Lord for Peor's sake. Verse 9. Neither let us tempt Christ, of some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. By this he again hints at another charge, which he likewise states at the end, blaming them because they contended about signs, and murmured on account of temptations, saying, When will the good things come? When the rewards, wherefore also he adds, on this account correcting and alarming them. Verse 10. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. For what is required is, not only to suffer for Christ, but also nobly to bear the things that come on us, and with all gladness, since this is the nature of every crown. Yea, and unless this be so, punishment rather will attend men, taking calamity with a bad grace. Wherefore also the apostles, when they were beaten, rejoiced, and Paul gloried in his suffering. Verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Again he terrifies them, speaking of the ends, and prepares them to expect things greater than had already taken place. For that we shall suffer punishment is manifest, saith he, from what hath been said, even to those who disbelieve the statements concerning hellfire, but that the punishment also will be more severe is evident from the more numerous blessings which we have enjoyed, and from the things of which those were but figures. Since if in the gifts one go beyond the other, it is more evident that so it will be in the punishment likewise. For this cause he both calls them types, and said that they were written for us, and made mention of an end, that he might remind them of the consummation of all things. For not such will be the penalties then, as to admit of a termination, and be done away, but the chastisement will be eternal. For even as the punishments in this world are ended with the present life, so those in the next continually remain, but when he said the ends of the world, he means nothing else but that the fearful judgment is henceforth nigh at hand. Verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Again he cast down their pride, who thought highly of their knowledge. For if they who had so great privileges suffered such things, and some for murmuring alone were visited with such punishment, and others for tempting. And neither their multitude moved God to repent, nor their having attained to such things. Much more shall it be so in our case, except when we be sober. And well, said he, he that thinketh he standeth. For this is not even standing as one ought to stand, to rely on yourself, 
for quickly will such in one fall, since they too, had they not been high-minded and self-confident, but of a subdued frame of mind, would not have suffered these things. Whence it is evident that boasting first of all, and carelessness afterwards, and gluttony are the sources of these evils. Wherefore, even though you stand, take heed lest you fall. For our standing here is not secure standing, no, not until we be delivered out of the waves of this present life, and have sailed into that tranquil haven. Be not therefore high-minded at thy standing, but guard against thy falling. For of Paul feared, who was firmer than all, much more ought we to fear. Now the apostle's word, as we have seen, was, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. But we cannot say even this, all of us, so to speak, having fallen and lying prostrate on the ground. For to whom am I to say this? To him that committeth extortion every day? Nay, he lies prostrate with a mighty fall. To the fornicator? He too is cast down to the ground. To the drunkard? He also is fallen, and knoweth not even that he is fallen. So that it is not the season for this word, but for that saying of the prophet, which he spake to the Jews also, He that falleth does not rise again. For all are fallen, and to rise again they have no mind, so that our exhortation is not concerning the falling, but concerning the ability of them that are fallen to rise. Let us rise again then, late though it be, beloved. Let us rise again, late though it be, beloved. Let us rise again, and let us stand nobly. How long do we lie prostrate? How long are we drunken, besotted with the excess desire of the things of this life? It is a meet opportunity now to say, To whom shall I speak and give warning? So deaf are all men become, even to the very instruction of wisdom, and thence filled with abundance of evils. And were it possible to discern their souls naked, as in armies when the battle is ended, one may behold some dead and some wounded, so also in the church we might see. Wherefore I beseech and implore you, let us stretch out a hand to each other, and thoroughly raise ourselves up. For I myself am one of them that are smitten, and require one to apply some remedies. Do not whoever despair on this account. For what if the wounds be severe, yet are they not incurable? Such is our physician, only let us feel our wounds, although we be arrived at the very extreme of wickedness. Many are the ways of safety which he strikes out for us. Thus if thou forbear to be angry with thy neighbor, thine own sins shall be forgiven. For if ye forgive men, saith he, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And if thou give alms, he will remit thee thy sins. For break off thy sins, saith he, by alms. And if thou pray earnestly, thou shalt enjoy forgiveness. In this the widow signifieth, who prevaileth upon that cruel judge by the importunity of her prayer. And if thou accuse thine own sins, thou hast relief. For declare thou thine iniquities first, that thou mayest be justified. And if thou art sorrowful on account of these things, this too will be to thee a powerful remedy. For I have seen, saith he, that he was grieved, and went sorrowful, and I have healed his ways. And if, when thou sufferest any evil, thou bear it nobly, 
thou hast put away the whole. For this also did Abraham say to the rich man, The Lazarus received his evil things, and here he is comforted. And if thou hast pity on the widow, thy sins are washed away. For judge saith he, the orphan, and plead for the widow, and come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. And if your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. And if they be crimson, I will make them white as wool. For not even a single scar of the wounds doth he suffer to appear. Yea, and though we be come to that depth of misery into which he fell, who devoured his father's substance and fed upon husks, and should repent, we are undoubtedly saved. And though we owe ten thousand talents, if we fall down before God and bear no malice, all things are forgiven us. Although we have wandered away to that place whither the sheep strayed from his keeper, even thence he recovers us again. Only let us be willing, beloved, for God is merciful. Wherefore, both in the case of him that owed ten thousand talents, he was content with his falling down before him. And in the case of him who had devoured his father's goods, with his return only, and in the case of the sheep with its willingness to be born, Consider, therefore, the greatness of his mercy. Let us here make him propitious unto us, and let us come before his face by a public confession, that we may not depart hence without excuse, and have to endure that extreme punishment. For if in the present life we exhibit even an ordinary diligence, we shall gain the greatest rewards. But if we depart, having become nothing better here, even though we repent ever so earnestly there, it will do us no good. For it was our duty to have stricken while yet remaining within the lists. Not after the assembly was broken up idly to lament and weep, as that rich man did, bewailing and deploring himself, but to no purpose now and in vain, since he overlooked the time in which he ought to have done these things. And not he alone, but many others there are like him now, among the rich, not willing to despise wealth, but despising their own souls for wealth's sake, at whom I cannot but wonder when I see men continually interceding with God for mercy, whilst they are implacably set against their own good, and unsparing of their very soul, as if it were an enemy. Let us not then trifle, beloved, let us not trifle nor delude ourselves, beseeching God to have mercy on us, whilst we ourselves prefer both money and luxury, and in fact all things to his mercy. For neither if any one brought before thee a case, and said in accusation of such an one, that being to suffer ten thousand deaths, and having it in his power to rid himself of the sentence by a little money, he chose rather to die than to give up any of his property, would you say that he was worthy of any mercy or compassion? Now in this same way do thou also reason touching thyself, for we too act in this way, and, making light of our own salvation, we are sparing of our money. How then dost thou beseech God to spare thee, when thou thyself art so unsparing of thyself, and honorest money above thy soul? Wherefore also I am greatly astonished to see how great witchery lies hid in wealth, or rather not in wealth, but in the souls of those that are beguiled. For there are, there are those who utterly deride the sorcery, for which among the things therein is really capable of bewitching us. Is it not inanimate matter? Is it not transitory? 
Is not the possession thereof unworthy of trust? Is it not full of fears and dangers, nay, of murders and conspiracy, of enmity and hatred, or carelessness and much vice? Is it not dust and ashes? What madness have we here? What disease? But, say you, we ought not merely to bring such accusations against those that are so diseased, but also to destroy the passion. And in what other way shall we destroy it, except by pointing out its baseness, and how full it is of innumerable evils? But of this, it is not easy to persuade a lover concerning the objects of his love. Well then, we must set full in his view another sort of beauty, but incorporeal beauty he sees not, being yet in his disease. Well then, let us show him some beauty of the corporeal kind, and say to him, Consider the meadows and the flowers therein, which are more sparkling than any gold, and more elegant and transparent than all kinds of precious stones. Consider the limpid streams from their fountains, the streams which, like oil, flow noiselessly out of the earth. Ascend to heaven and behold the luster of the sun, the beauty of the moon, the stars that cluster like flowers. Why, what is this, say you, since we do not, I suppose, make use of them as of wealth? Nay, we use them more than wealth, inasmuch as the use thereof is more needful, the enjoyment more secure. For thou hast no fear, lest, like money, any one should take them and go off with them. But you may ever be confident of having them, and that without anxiety or care. But if thou grieve, because thou enjoyest them in common with others, and dost not possess them alone like money, it is not money, but mere covetousness, which thou seemest to me to be in love with, nor would even the money be an object of thy desire, if it had been placed within the reach of all in common. Therefore, since we have found the beloved object, I mean covetousness, come, let me show thee how she hates and abhors thee, how many swords she sharpens against thee, how many pits she digs, how many nooses she ties, how many precipices she prepares, that thus at any rate thou mayest do away with the charm. Whence then are we to obtain this knowledge? From the highways, from the wars, from the sea, from the courts of justice, for she hath both filled the sea with blood, and the swords of the judges she often dies with blood contrary to law and arms those who on the highways lie in wait day and night, and persuades men to forget nature, and make parricides, and murderers of mothers, and introduces all sorts of evils into men's life, which is the reason why Paul entitles her the root of evil. She suffers not her lovers to be in any better condition than those who work in the mines. For as they, perpetually shut up in darkness and in chains, labor unprofitably, so also these buried in the caves of avarice, no one using any force with them, voluntarily draw their punishment on themselves, binding on them fetters that cannot be broken, and on those condemned to the mines, at least when even comes on, are released from their toils, but these both day and night are digging in these wretched mines, and to those there is a definite limit of that hard labor, but these know no limit. But the more they dig, so much the greater hardship do they desire. And what if those do it unwillingly, but these with their will, in that thou tellest me of the grievous part of the disease, that it is even impossible for them to be rid of it, 
since they do not so much as hate their own wretchedness. But as a swine in mud, so also do these delight to wallow in the noisome mire of avarice, suffering worse things than those condemned ones. As to the fact that they are in a worse condition, hear the circumstances of the one, and then thou wilt know the state of the other. Now it is said that the soil which is impregnated with gold has certain dens and recesses in those gloomy caverns. The malefactor then condemns to labor in that place, taking for that purpose a lamp and a spade. So we are told enters within and carries with him a cruise, a drop oil, from thence into the lamp, because there is darkness even by day, without a ray of light, as I said before. Then, when the time of day calls him to his wretched meal, himself, they say, is ignorant of the time, but his jailer from above, striking violently on the cave, by that clattering sound, declares to those who are at work below the end of the day, do ye not shudder when you hear all this? Let us see now whether there be not things more grievous than these in the case of the covetous. For these two, in the first place, have a severe jailer, viz. avarice, and so much severer as that together with their body he chains also their soul. And this darkness also is more awful than that. For it is not subject to sense, but producing it within, whithersoever they go, they carry it all about with themselves. For the eye of their soul is put out, which is the reason why more than all Christ calls them wretched, saying, But if the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness! And they for their part have at least a lamp shining, but these are deprived even of this beam of light, and therefore every day they fall into countless pitfalls and the condemned, when night overtakes them, have a respite, sailing into that calm port which is common to all the unfortunate. I mean the night, but against the covetous, even this harbor is blocked up by their own avarice. Such grievous thoughts have they even at night, since then, without disturbance from anyone, at full leisure, they cut themselves to pieces. Such are the circumstances in this world. But those the next... What discourse shall exhibit? The intolerable furnaces, the rivers burning with fire, the gnashing of teeth, the chains never to be loosed, the envenomed worm, the rayless gloom, the never-ending miseries. Let us fear them, beloved. Let us fear the fountain of so great punishments, the insatiate madness, the destroyer of our salvation. For it is impossible at the same time both to love money and your soul. Let us be convinced that wealth is dust and ashes, that it leaves us when we depart thence. Or rather, that even before our departure, it oftentimes darts away from us, and injures us both in regard of the future and in respect of the present life. For before hellfire and before that punishment, even here it surrounds us with innumerable wars and stirs up strifes and contests. For nothing is so apt to cause war as avarice, nothing so apt to produce beggary, whether it show itself in wealth or in poverty. For in the souls of poor men also this grievous disease ariseth, and where is their poverty still bearer? And if there be found a poor covetous man, 
such an one suffers not punishment in money, but in hunger, for he allows himself to enjoy his moderate means with comfort, but both racks his belly with hunger and punishes his whole body with nakedness and cold, and everywhere appears more squalid and dirty than any prisoner's, and is always wailing and lamenting, as though he were more wretched than all, though there be ten thousand poorer than he. This man, whither he go into the marketplace, goes away with many a stripe, or into the bath, or into the theater, he will still be receiving more wounds, not only from the spectators, but also from those upon the stage, where he beholds not a few of the unchaste women glittering in gold. This man again, whether he sail upon the sea, regarding the merchants and their richly freighted ships, and their enormous profits, will not even count himself to live. Or whether he travel by land, reckoning up the fields, the suburban farms, the inns, the baths, the revenues arising out of them, his own life will thenceforth seem to him not to be endured as life. Or whether thou shut him up at home, he will but rub and fret the wounds received in the market, and so by himself do greater despite to his own soul. And he knows only one consolation for the evils which oppress him, death and deliverance from this life. And these things, not the poor man only, but the rich also will suffer, who falls into this disease, and so much more than the poor, inasmuch as the tyranny presses more vehemently on him, and the intoxication is greater. Wherefore also he will account himself poorer than all, or rather he is poorer, for riches and poverty are determined not by the measure of the substance, but by the disposition of the mind, and he rather is the poorest of all, who is always hankering after more, and is never able to stay this wicked lust. On all these accounts, then, let us flee covetousness, the maker of beggars, the destroyer of souls, the friend of hell, the enemy of the kingdom of heaven, the mother of all evils together, and let us despise wealth that we may enjoy wealth, and with wealth may enjoy also the good things promised to us, unto which may we all obtain, etc. End of homily 23